This weekend, as I mentioned, we're talking about worship, but it's the start of our Blueprint series, our Blueprint series, because we believe that going back to the plans, going back to the original intent can be a super useful way at looking at what is God's design for the church. And in, in over the next three weeks, we're looking at three really significant aspects to who the church is. We're looking at worship this week. We're looking at discipleship next week. And the following, following week, we're going to be looking at church mul- multiplication. So the Blueprints really is... What does the Bible have to say about worship? What does God have to say about worship? And then what also have we learned about worship during this pandemic? Because we go back to the blueprints, we kind of have to take a look at what are we learning right now about worship and what is God showing us right now as a church about worship? But if we acknowledge that God has some really specific instructions about worship in the scriptures and we want to take a look at that, we also have to acknowledge that we have our own perceptions about worship. We have you know, we just came in and sang a, sang a worship song. And so in our perceptions about worship, one of the things that we kind of think about from time to time is, is worship just about music? Are there other forms of worship that, are, that God has uh, some things to say about? Is it just when the church gathers? Is it just inside of the building here that, that, that we worship? Or are there other ways in which worship actually is expressed and experienced? You know, what about, what about the raising of hands? Are, are you worshiping correctly if you're raising their hands or, if you wor- or, or is, that, that, is that really an important aspect to, to worship and you see people around who different, do different raising of hands in different ways? Well, who's doing it right? Or what about emotions? Like what, what happens with the worship set when you're either maybe, maybe you're just not feeling it as much? Is there, is there something wrong? Or what about the idea of worship not having to be emotional, that you're just supposed to kind of like do it even whether you're feeling it or not? All these things are kind of perceptions and, and aspects to worship that, we, you know, that we're experiencing. Or here's the obvious one. What about online worship? Or what about how acknowledgement that worship in our living rooms is actually really hard right now? Because we miss being back together as a church and we miss being able to hear each other's voices, right? I mean, church, are you excited about next week being able to be back here in person without social distancing and without masks? Yes. And I also understand that some people that's going to create some anxiety and there'll be an adjustment period and we have to sort of like settle into this and we'll have to be sensitive towards one another in this because we're a church family. I understand all these things are, are sort of on the table when it comes to talking about worship, right? But we really want to just go back to God's word, see what his word says about worship and see what we can learn about this and see how that has been actually borne out during this pandemic. Would you be willing to consider this morning that worship is actually more natural for us than we maybe even realize? Would you be willing to consider this morning that worship is more important to God than maybe we've understood it to be? Here's a big one. Would you be willing to consider that worship is wider and even more foreign in all of the different expressions of worship than what you've even experienced so far in your life? And if worship is really not your thing, if maybe sometimes you find it monotonous and boring, would you be willing to consider that maybe worship as God intends it is less boring and monotonous than you fear it is? And if worship really is your thing and worship is your jam, would you be willing to consider that it's even better than what you've experienced so far in your life. As we draw close to the blueprints, the heart of God in worship, this is what we're going to try to tease out this morning. This is what we're trying to go in deeper on this morning. Are you guys ready? All right. So our first passage is going to be from the Old Testament, and it's going to be from the Ten Commandments. 
as I was praying about this and as, as I was thinking, God, there's so many different places we, where we could look at in Scripture. Where do you want us to start this morning? He said, I think we should start in the Ten Commandments. And, I, you know, and as I was praying and listening to God, I realized if this really is important to God, if worship really is important to God, then we probably are going to find it in some of these foundational scriptures, you know, including the Ten Commandments. So let's take a read and let's see what we see here. Here we go. This is Deuteronomy 5, 6 to 10. It says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Maybe you're asking yourself right now, what does the Ten Commandments have to do with worship? Well, these first two commandments are just very clearly about idolatry. Whether through human creations or through invisible alternatives. And idolatry is worship that is misdirected. Idolatry is worship that is misdirected. And idolatry also takes this notion of worship and just it expands it right off the bat. Expands it far beyond just the limits of singing in church. And it really just causes us to look at ourselves in this language as to what are we bowing down to and serving with our lives. Let's look into this a little bit closer, okay? So the Ten Commandments were given to the people of Israel at a period of time when they're both kind of in a transition between being a nomadic culture and an agrarian culture. And in both of these cultures absolutely, completely dependent upon the sun and weather and rain for crops and for herds. Because if the weather is good and the crops are plentiful, then you have enough to eat. And if not, then everyone's going hungry. This is how you provide for your family. You're completely dependent upon things that are outside of your control. That, th that there'd be no locusts that come in and eat up the crops, that there'd be no one who comes in and, and burns the crops. And so all the societies around Israel at this point in time, they all had these methods of, of worshiping and serving other gods, of offering sacrifices to other gods that were just intended to try to guarantee an outcome for their lives, guarantee security for their lives because they can't control the wind and the rain, but maybe if they offered these sacrifices. And some of these sacrifices in the other cultures were incredibly brutal and barbaric and degrading to humanity. And God says, not so with my people. You're going to be dependent upon me. You're going to be dependent upon me. You're going to let me provide for you there will be no other God before me. There will be no carved image. I know there was a golden calf in your past, but not in your future. Nothing else will you bow down to worship to provide for you. It's going to be me. Because why? Because I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Do you remember the Red Sea? Do you remember how you walked across the Red Sea on dry land? Do you remember, do you remember the manna? Do you remember the quail? Do you remember the water out of the rocks? Do you remember the Jordan River? You walked across. I am the Lord your God. You can depend upon me. Remember the history. That's what God is saying to his people. Now, now during the pandemic, how did your sense of dependence on God change? Because we're not really in an agrarian uh, culture right now, right? We don't depend upon the sun and the rain to provide for our family. 
But we do depend upon things like childcare and our jobs and access to transportation and access to information and access to the internet and for schooling and even just the ability to walk down the sidewalk and not be insulted or confronted with hate. Maybe we could get back there someday. Everything that's normal has been just completely upended during the pandemic, right? And so what have we depended on during the pandemic? How has your dependence on God changed? Have you found yourself being more dependent on God? Or did you get to the place where you're like, God, I'm just going to have to take this in my own hands. You're not doing a great job in this department. Things are really out of control. We're going to do this my way now. That's one of the things that's been interesting about the pandemic is specifically it's been just a season of being completely out of control. And as I read these Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me and you should not bow down and worship them. As I was thinking about that in my own life and even I think in North American culture, the probably the most common thing that I'm tempted with, I think that we, uh, you know, in this culture are tempted with to put in the number one place of God in our lives is me. We'll do it my way. We'll do it my way. Sometimes it's in subtle things. Sometimes it's in big things. Sometimes I feel like I've just waited too long for an answer about, you know, where should we go with this particular decision or where should we, where should we go with this situation or God, like, I've been praying about this. You're not answering this the right way. When I think that way, I just realize, oh man, I have just slid myself into that number one spot. I've just slid myself into the real authority in my life. And God just says, I want you to be dependent on me like those Israelites were. And I will, would you remember, Joel, how I've provided for your family during this pandemic? Would you remember, Joel, how I've provided for your family just through, through, through your whole life, Joel? Through your whole, would you remember would you go back through those pages of the journals and just go back to those stories again? You might have forgotten some of those stories, Joel. But I will look after you. I will look after you and your family. You can trust me in this. And worship is a way that we can remind ourselves weekly about our dependence on God. When I refer to the, the church gathering in that way. Like this morning, in, even in this song, I was just reminded again, God, you are good. God, you are good. God, you are good. And that reminder this morning takes me back to these, to these stories and the thinking about, yes, I can remember that. I can believe in that. I can stay in a good place in my, in my dependence on God today. So here's the list, really, I think, of what we can pull out of this these verses about the Ten Commandments is that worship declares our dependence on God, and we need to do that regularly. Worship is also a response to who God is. When the scripture says, I am the Lord your God who pulled you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and I already sort of went back through that recollection of all of the stories of, of the things that God has done for Israel, it's a response to who God is. And then this has been important for me. This has been important for me as I've been saying this. Just, just this realization, this reminder that worship is bowing and serving. 
Worship is bowing and serving. It's an attitude and posture of the heart. What am I bowing and serving in my, in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit? Worship is loving God in return. Listen to this. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And just a reminder that, that we have a choice in who and what we worship. And, when, and the instruct, instructions are, you shall have no other gods before me. We have a choice in who we, and what we worship. And, and the things that we intentionally give our attention and our affection to are acts of worship. Do you see how relational this list is? Do you see how relational the Ten Commandments are? You can see God pouring out his heart to his people as he's given them these rules. I am the Lord your God, he says, but showing steadfast love of those who love me and keep my commandments. I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God. I'm a jealous God for you. When you started singing this morning, did you consider yourself in any way bowing down or serving the Lord your God in worship? Did you set out to express yourself of love for your God? Did you intentionally have to give away all of the distractions and give him your focus and your attention? Or have you ever just kind of felt like worship was kind of going through the motions, just going through the motions, and it was hard? Well, the bottom line about worship is that it really is relational. Then maybe we consider this. Worship is our natural response to being in right relationship with God. It's our natural response. I see that because in the Ten Commandments, he's basically saying to his people, hey, if you follow these Ten Commandments, we're going to be good. Our relationship with God is going to be fine. We're good with him when we follow the Ten Commandments. And it's, our worship is a natural response to flow out of that. Let's take a look at another passage this morning and begin to pull together some more principles that will be in play, all right? And, you know, this next section that we're going to go to is a conversation with Jesus. This Samaritan woman is having a conversation with Jesus. We're looking at this here in John 4, partly because Jesus uses the word worship and some expression and his opinions about worship in several different ways, and so I think there's a lot we can learn about. But again, in this conversation, we can see how, rate, how relational worship is, and we can see this principle of worship being a natural response when we have our right relationship with God born out in this conversation. It's a conversation between Samaritan woman and Jesus. So let's read this together. This is John 4, 20 to 24. We're dropping in in the middle of the conversation. Here we go. It says this. This woman says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We're going to pull several principles out of this passage. There's a lot here. At the beginning... She asked this question about, are we supposed to worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem? Which one's the right place to worship? And in actuality, it's actually a decades-old fight and disagreement between the Samaritans and the Jews because the Samaritans believed that on this mountain, and she, she's referring to Mount Gerizim, the Samaritans believed that Moses told them that this is the place of holy worship 
And they had built a temple there. It had gotten destroyed. And, but still, the Samaritans three times a year took journeys to this mountain to worship God. And they knew that the, that the Jews believed that Jerusalem was the place of worship. And that was a disagreement, but it was such a heated disagreement. And the, the fighting between Jews and Samaritans was so, so intense that, that the Jews even made it against the law for Samaritans to come into the temple in Jerusalem. So this woman's asking a bigger question than just where should we worship. She's also asking the question, I know you're a Jew, but how do you feel about Samaritans? And who's right about which ethnicity is better? Hear this from God. God doesn't have a favorite ethnicity or a cultural location to be worshipped from. Oh, this is big. This is big. The hour is coming, it says. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Jesus is trying to send a message. He's trying to send a message by even traveling through Samaria. He's trying to send a message by having a face-to-face conversation with the Samaritan woman. He's trying to send a message when he tells the parable about who is my neighbor, who is the most loving picture that I can tell you about in this parable, and the person who's getting it right is the good Samaritan. He's trying to send a big message. And the message that he's trying to send is that now in Jesus Christ, the dividing wall of hostilities has been broken down. This is huge for us. There is huge for us. And we can actually say so much more about this. And this is foreshadowing of a little bit where we're going later in the message and the, and the third scripture we're taking a look at. But here is the point. Your spirit is the new sacred location of worship, not a building, not a cultural location, not a favorite ethnicity. Your spirit is a new sacred location. It says in the word, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This means the blueprints at this point in time, Jesus is changing the blueprints. We've got to pay attention to this. If it's not about the mountain or if it's not about Jerusalem, then where do we worship? The answer is, he says, we worship in spirit and in truth. And of course, we don't forsake gathering together, as some are in the habit of doing, like we're gathering together here this morning and online. It's not that the gathering is not important, but we have so much that we have to learn about this and understand this in spirit and in truth. You know, and when I think about the lessons we've learned about this during the pandemic, do you remember? Do you remember at the very beginning, the first weekend when everything was shut down? And then we gathered online and we saw this video that Pastor Jen and her husband Jay had recorded just like a few days earlier. Do you remember that? And we could see from our living rooms that the Holy Spirit had transformed that living room where it had been recorded into a sacred place. And that in our living rooms where we were watching at that point in time, God was meeting us in our living rooms over this live stream in ways that maybe we didn't even think were possible. And our living rooms had become sacred places. And now, like 70 weeks later or so, our living rooms 
are, don't maybe feel quite as sacred places anymore because they've become so monotonous and so normal and there's so many distractions in our living rooms and like it's just not the same and I fully understand that. But the pandemic has showed us that there's new ways to think about doing church. Let me tell you a story. So Carolina, she found us, she found Princeton Alliance online during the pandemic and she got connected via some texting with Pastor Boyd. And um, during the first couple months of the pandemic, she made some big decisions to give her life to Jesus and to start putting her faith in Christ. And, and Carolina is a nurse and she was on the front line and she was having some incredibly profound and very difficult experiences during the pandemic. We, huge shout out to all of our frontline workers for all that you've done in taking care of us during this time. Thank you so much. And Carolina, thank you so much. But it goes deeper than this. It goes deeper than this. So Carolina, throughout the pandemic, at some point in time, made the decision that when she saw what was going on and the desperate need in India over the past several months, she decided to sign up for a tour with Doctors Without Borders. And Carolina is in, in India right now, in desperate, difficult situations, caring for the sick and for the dying. And we met as a church staff about a month ago. We just dedicated a huge portion of time of our whole staff meeting to pray for our sister in Christ and pray for her and lift up the whole country of India because of the desperate situation, because we had to. Because she's our sister. And the need was so great. And there is no doubt in mind She's our sister in Christ. And she's never been in this building. And it just doesn't seem like that matters. The ways in which we think about church are changing. And I believe that this summer, when there's a little bit more travel, and maybe business travel for you will pick up, or maybe um, summer vacation travel will pick up, maybe you'll feel a little bit more connected to your church family during that time because of online church and new ways of doing online church. And maybe in the future expressions of being able to do some maybe after service and before service conversations or maybe some after service and before service prayer time in online church in ways in which we didn't even have never even dreamed about doing online church before things that haven't even been created and invented yet. These are some of the things we've been praying for and thinking about there are new blueprints still being born in online church as we look at the things we've learned and we've heard from you guys about what's difficult about online church. So thank you so much for all the feedback. You'll, you're going to hear this week about a survey that we would love for you to take and help us out. PrincetonAlliance.org survey. Thank you, church, for all your flexibility, for all the things that you are, ways in which you've been willing to adapt with us. There's more in this conversation. Let's take a look at this. Let's take a look about the conversation with online, with um, this, this Samaritan woman and the things that happened right before this because there's so much more here. So if you think about the story, if you know the story, I'll just kind of recap it a little bit. So Jesus takes this, this time of walking through Samaria with his disciples. His disciples, he sends them to get something to eat so he can have this conversation with the Samaritan woman. And he asks her for a drink. And she starts getting him a drink. And then he says to her, I can give you a drink of water so that in the, and of the water that I can give you, you will never be thirsty again. And he doesn't have a bucket. So she's confused. 
But a few moments later, she says, Sir, give me this living water that you're talking about. And his response to her is, Go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, I know because the truth is you've had five. And because Jesus is there, it's still a safe place. And as she talks to him, she comes to this realization through this answer about worshiping and through the safe place that he creates for her between the Samaritans and the Jews. And she goes back to her village full of joy and says, come see the man who's told me everything I've ever done. And yet still I'm safe with him. I'm not judged. I'm forgiven. This has huge implications for us in worship. It means that worship requires honesty. It needs honesty. It needs repentance. And it leads to joy. I don't know if I've really thought that much about this in worship, but this conversation with the Samaritan woman really has drawn me there this past week. The honesty with God that's represented there. The acknowledgement from her of, yes, I've had five husbands. And his grace and forgiveness for her, I will give you this living water. I will give you this living water and you'll never be thirsty again. And the joy in her when she runs back to her village and says, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Do you see that there? Wow. Coming into a right relationship with God requires our honesty and repentance, which leads to joy. If you ever feel like worship is dull or dry for you, consider looking into this story and maybe implementing some rhythms of honesty and confession as you bow your heart before the living God wherever you are at any point in time during the day or maybe even as you get before you gather um, for corporate worship on Sunday morning. And if this leads you to joy, then you're on the right track. If this takes you into places of guilt and shame, then just remember there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God is so ready to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we're just simply willing to, bring, to walk in the light as he is in the light and to be honest with him. Honest with him. Can we talk about another lesson that we've learned during the pandemic during this time? Can we talk about another lesson? We have been learning more about worship and the things that worship means to us when we are in seasons of grief and loss and anxiety and exhaustion. Learning about worship and grief and loss and anxiety and exhaustion. One of the things we've learned is that God does not want us to be fake. God does not want us to be fake. He sees our hearts. He knows what's going on inside there. He knows our pain. Second thing is that when worship is hard for us, and we can just barely do it, 
or maybe we can just groan, or maybe we can just stand. And worship is really hard. Scripture calls those moments a sacrifice of praise. And those are precious to God. They're precious to Him. When you tune, choose to give Him your attention and your affection to the best of your ability, even in the seasons of pain, they're precious to Him. And worship is a lifeline in these times. Worship is a lifeline during these times because music is a gift from God. And sometimes it's a lyric or sometimes it's a vocal or sometimes it's a moment. And it just grabs you, it does something inside and it starts a little bit of healing starts a little bit of unearthing and it starts a good thing happening. Sometimes that's the lifeline that you need to grab onto in the middle of some of those dark places. Worship has been a lifeline. I hope you've been able to experience that church. So get back to worship in a couple minutes. Maybe you'll be able to experience that again this morning. Can we just have a real talk about some of these aspects of worship during the pandemic? I know I'm not the only one who's experienced this. All right, are you ready to maybe look at the last passage, which is a picture of the future of worship in the church? Are you ready to go there, church? Let's take a look at this. This is from Revelation. And Revelation is a book that was written by John, but God was giving him an inspiration, a vision of what heaven and the future was going to look like. So we're dropping into God showing John heaven. That's what this is, okay? Here's what it says in John, in Revelation 7, 9 to 12. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Oh, can you see it? Can you imagine it? A great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. John heard the languages. He heard the languages. And he saw the people, the colors and all the features that God has created. And everyone's crying out with a loud voice. It's a natural response to being in right relationship with God and seeing God in all his glory at that point in time in heaven. Sin and shame are no longer in the way. Our understanding of God's beautiful plan of salvation is complete. 
And here in this picture, we see all these principles that we've already listed, borne out. Let's take a look at them as we recap here. Worship is a response to who God is. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Worship declares our dependence on God. Worship is bowing and serving. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. (laughs) I'm just getting caught up in the realization of what that must have been like. What it's going to be like. Worship is loving God in return. Heaven's worship has every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages. And God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven in this way. God, thank you for the ways in which we've had little tiny tastes of this so far. I'm thinking about the the moment three weeks ago when we had a chance to sing a song that was in Spanish. Just tiny little tastes, little steps forward for us as a church. And worship needs honesty and repentance, which leads to joy. Because worship is our natural response to being in right relationship with God. So just take a moment right now. Got it. Just ask God, is there anything in my heart? Search me and know me. See if there's anything wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I hope that today by just looking at these passages, that as we sing now together, can just come from a deeper, truer place of spirit and truth for you this morning. I also hope today, as we've looked at these passages, you've realized and we can take these principles outside of the doors and outside of the context of just singing and realizing that we have so much more to discover in a life of worship because really worship is about bowing and serving. And there's so much more that we can think about with regards to doing everything as unto the Lord all throughout the day, just as a spiritual act of worship. And then I also pray that as we looked at after these things this morning, we realized that in heaven's worship, with all these languages, with all these ethnicities, that we need all of that in order for it to be a picture of heaven. And we have to make room for more languages. We have to make room for more ethnicities. We have to acknowledge that it's good to be uncomfortable and not know the language in worship. But we can do it together in unity because we have one body, one head that is the church.